Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Good morning. Good to be with you all this morning. I'm going to try it again. Good morning. Good morning. There we go. Thank you. I like the voice up there. Thank you for being loud. Hey, it's good to be with you all this morning. My name is Vince. I am one of the elders here at the Town Church and uh, on staff as the pastor over preaching and vision. So if we haven't met, we'd love to meet you at some point. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to the book of John. We have been working through the gospel account of John over the last uh, year, and we will continue to move through that gospel account until we're finished. We only have a couple weeks left. And so uh, the gospel of John is in the New Testament, which is the back half of your Bible. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. So John 21 is what we are looking at this morning. It has been a journey as we've walked through the book of John. It's been a great journey. In so many ways, it's been extremely helpful right in the middle of this weird sort of upside down world that we're living in with everything going on. Hasn't it been great for us just to be able to take some time to look at Jesus and just see Jesus for who he is? And and that's something that we've desired uh, to do over these years. Last week, we touched on this idea of Jesus bringing change that we, we see in the text, that he's actually able to change. The resurrected Jesus brings change to life, turn, turns weeping into rejoicing, and turns um, fear into peace, and turns doubt into belief. And, and we, we believe that Jesus is able to change. Do we not? Do we believe that? Yeah, we believe that he's able to change. And so now we're into chapter 21. And so if you're, if you are there and you are able this morning to join me in standing as we read from God's word, I'd invite you to do that. I'm going to read all the way through verse 14. Um, you can just listen or you can read along in your text if you want, and, and I will read the passage. Here's what God's word says. Chapter 21, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, 
Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is God's word. Amen. You may have a seat. Chapter 21 of John is what many people have called the epilogue of John. The epilogue. Now, um, you may not know what an epilogue is, at least in word, but you know what an epilogue is. Here's what an epilogue is. I'll, I'll take it to movies just so we can all be on the same page. Um, uh, in a movie, when, when the climactic parts have happened, the story is all moving to this one moment, and that moment finally happens, and, and, and all of it's brought to that, that head in the movie, and, and the bulk of the story is now finished. And now that thing has happened and resolve is brought to the story. The climactic parts of the story have come and gone. Everything's been building toward the tension now has been lifted from the story. And the movie then fades to black. And you're thinking, okay, now the credits are going to roll. But what happens? It fades back in three, four, five months later, a couple of years later, and you see what? You see resolve brought to the story. Have you experienced that? You've seen movies like that where it fades out and you're thinking, oh, this is over, but no, it's not. And it tells you a little bit more about how these people are now living in resolve. That's an epilogue, right? That's what many people have said John 21 is. It's an epilogue to the book of John showing how the disciples are now living in at least some resolution some resolve what we've seen it now normal everyday life is is now back and they're trying to figure out how to go about their days now now think through that try to put yourself in this situation try to put yourself where they are remember jesus has has just commissioned the disciples to be on mission. We saw that last week, to, to carry out the good news of the gospel to the, to the world around them. He says, back in chapter 20, verse 21, we saw it last week, he says, peace be with you. Remember that? Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and, and, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So God the Father has sent Jesus. Now he's sending his disciples, but they aren't alone. They've got the Holy Spirit empowering them to be on mission, to extend the grace of the gospel to those in need. So the question is then, how do they live that out? And so we come to the epilogue. The cross and the resurrection has been accomplished, and Jesus has sent them out. And as an epilogue, John 21 teaches us, the reader, us, the reader, through the actions of the disciples. In fact, that may be why John puts this all here, tacking it on to the end, to bring some reality to the ongoing work of being a follower of Jesus. Just bring some reality to the resolve of the story. Being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian, this is going to sound simple to you, being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is about Jesus. It's about Jesus, that, that we would see Jesus. That's what this is all about. If we've made Christianity about anything else, we've gone the wrong way. If we've made it about our political party, if we've made it about our social agendas, if we've made it about how, 
how we can live a great life, right? Even now, right? And all the ways that we want to, if we've made it about anything else, we've made it about the wrong thing. Christianity, following Jesus, is about the fame, glory, and honor of Jesus, living for him, living like him. We've moved in the wrong direction if we've done anything else, or eyes fixed on Jesus. So John is giving us this epilogue to show us that, Jesus. You see how John starts the epilogue in verse 1. He says, after this. He's carrying the story back, right? After this. After everything that's just happened. After Jesus has, has died, been buried, risen from the dead, and now two times has, has appeared to the disciples behind locked doors. After Jesus has revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, by the Sea of Galilee, he revealed himself in this way. And it's interesting that John says that. We want, we want to see it. Because everything after that is what we need to see. He reveals himself to the disciples in this way. So show us, John, in what way? This epilogue is about Jesus revealing himself to the disciples, showing himself to the disciples that we would see Jesus. He's died, he's been buried, he's been raised from the dead, and yet still showing his disciples more of himself. And so John is showing us, the reader, more of Jesus. And we're told in this passage that there were seven disciples together, probably on the shore of Galilee, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, and John, and then two other disciples um, who are unknown. They're all together on the shore. These men have been through a lot together, to say the least, right? They followed Jesus. They've lived with him for three years. They've heard his teachings. They've been confused by them. They think they know what's happening. Now he's been taken. He's been brutally beaten. He's been crucified on a cross. He's been buried in a grave. He's been raised from the dead. They've seen him now twice. They've interacted with him. They've, They've talked to him. They have been through a lot. So they're now standing on the shore uh, of this lake, the Sea of Galilee. And I just get this picture of some of them, just like some of them skipping rocks, some of them just looking out into it, kind of dazed and trying to figure out what the next steps are in life. They are just there. They're spending the day on the shore of Galilee together. And Peter says what? So profound of Peter. I'm going fishing. Right? And that's what Peter says. I'm going fishing. And we're told that the, the disciples said something even more profound. Okay, we'll go with you, right? Uh, so they go along. Now stop, just stop right there for a second. Get into what, what's going on here. These are men who have experienced and seen proof of the resurrection of Jesus, right? Right? They, they've seen proof of, of the resurrected Jesus. They've seen all of this happen. They've been sent on mission together by that resurrected Jesus, now, do you get the sense from these three verses in the beginning that these men are passionately pursuing the mission that Jesus has called them to? Nah, I think I'll go fishing. Right? Does that seem like a passionate pursuit of what Jesus has called them to? It doesn't at, at all, right? The other disciples, oh, okay, sure, I'll go with you. Right? The, the realities are still sinking in for them. What have we been called to? What is happening? What is going on? They haven't come to terms yet fully with the fact that there's power in the resurrection of Jesus. Now, let me ask this question of us. How many of us are just like them? You know that God Almighty has raised his son Jesus from the dead, and you too, in faith, will be raised to new life as well. You know that? You believe it, and your thought is, meh, I guess I'll go fishing. I guess I'll go to work. I guess I'll, uh, I'll do laundry. 
Right? I guess I'll go to church on Easter. It's convenient, maybe. I'm not saying that those things are, are, are wrong or unimportant, but, but with the attitude, with what attitude are we stepping into the realities that Jesus is alive? You hear that? That, he, that he's alive. He's not dead. He's, he's defeated sin and death for you. We've got much to celebrate. Our lives have been changed. Is it possible that in our moments of apathy, which we all have, in our moments of apathy, in our moments of going through the motions, in our moments of forgetfulness that, forgetfulness that Jesus is alive and, and, and that we desperately need him in all of life, in those moments, is it possible that God reminds us through our own inabilities? Here's what I mean. These seven disciples all went fishing. We're, we're told at the end of verse 3, what? They caught nothing. Not, ah, fishing wasn't that great last night. No, no, no. They caught nothing. Here's what I think we see in this, because remember, John's point is, this is how Jesus revealed himself. I think this is what we see. Jesus is revealed in our inability. Jesus is revealed in our inability. Remember that, that's John's point. Let me, let me show you Jesus. Part of the way Jesus revealed himself was in the inability of the disciples to catch anything. We'll see here in just a minute that, that Jesus miraculously fills the nets. But we'll just say right now, Jesus reveals himself in our inabilities. Through the disciples in this epilogue, we're reminded that in our moments of weakness, Jesus is revealed all the more, Right? Who senses that this morning? Who's in a place this morning where you're like, yeah, amen, I, I hear that. That in my inabilities, the, the power of Jesus is, is made just amazingly clear. But we don't like to live in our insufficiencies, do we? We don't like to live in, in a state where we have to show our weaknesses. In fact, we try to keep that all hidden. Right? We try to keep that all, I'm not going to talk to anybody about that. I hope no one talks to me about anything that I'm going through. I just want to keep all of that down. Do you remember what Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians 12? He's talking about some kind of weakness that he had, something that was given to him, something that he has been pleading with Jesus to remove three times over, but Jesus has not yet done it. And what does Jesus say to Paul? He says what? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus reveals his power in our inabilities, in our weaknesses. So Paul goes on to say, okay then, therefore I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, we don't like this, when I am weak, then I'm strong because it's pointing to Jesus. What? Are you walking through right now where you feel particularly weak, where you feel particularly unable to to move forward at all? Where are you sensing right now this morning your inabilities? Where are you feeling, I cannot do this anymore? I can't. Where are you feeling that? Can I, can I contend that, that it's right there? It's right there where Jesus' sufficiency is revealed in your life. It's right there. In that moment. Let me just ask this question of our own hearts, of my heart, maybe more, more than yours, but 
Are, are you more concerned about fixing your inability than you are about seeing and being near Jesus? I'm not saying we shouldn't be working towards success and fixing the ways that we're deficient and all, all of that. That's not what I'm saying. But where are you more concerned about fixing your weakness than you are about seeing and being near Jesus? Would you consider that today? Take that to heart and, and see where, where the Spirit may apply that. The epilogue of John is showing us Jesus. He has come to reveal himself And this is how, John says, this is how, in our inabilities, but not just in our inabilities, Jesus is revealed also in his ability. I alluded to this already, we already read through it, it was now the early morning and the disciples had caught nothing, remember that, they've caught nothing. Several of these guys were what by trade? Fishermen. Right? That was their trade. This was their gig. Of all people who had the ability to do this, it was them. Right? Several of these men could do it. So early morning hits and, and Jesus is standing on the shore and the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus says to them, children, do you have any fish? Really in the, in, in the literal uh, original wording, it's a negative question. So really the question is, haven't you caught anything? That's his question. Haven't you caught anything? And their answer is, uh, no. And so he says in verse 6, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, it's going to be a shock to many of you, but I'm not an angler. I had to get that word from Josh. That means fisher person. I, I'm, I'm not much into fishing. I don't know much about it. I've, I hear sometimes people say, hey, I want to take you fishing. I've got this special spot. In my mind, I'm thinking, isn't it all water? Like, isn't that where they live? Isn't that the spot where you would fish? I don't know. I don't get the special spot thing. Um, But I know enough to know this uh, about fishing and and about being in a boat. It's not that far from one side of the boat to the other side of the boat, right? And if fish are swimming here, they also have the ability to swim under the boat and swim here also. So I don't know a whole lot about it. It'd be like if somebody says, I'm playing tennis and I just can't hit the ball. And your response to them was, well, turn your racket the other way. Right? It's just like, doesn't, doesn't make sense. But that's what Jesus says to them. Throw your net, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. This is not humanly possible, right? This is outside of reason. But the disciples, for some reason, listen to this unknown guy on the shore. They're fisher people, right? They're fishermen. And, and, and they listen to him and they cast their net on the other side of the boat. And because of the quantity of fish that they caught, they were unable to haul it in. They couldn't pull the net into the boat. That's not normal. Right? Something supernatural must be going on. And it is. Jesus is revealed in his ability. The, the one who spoke the fish into existence also speaks into existence a full net of fish. Jesus has been revealed in his ability, and the disciple that Jesus loved, John the, the author is who we know that to be, says to Peter, It's the Lord. Clearly, the, the Lord. 
And when Peter hears John say that, recognizes that for himself, he puts on some clothes to be a little more decent because they fished in those days, almost stripped down to nothing so that when they threw the net out, they also didn't throw their robe out with it. So they stripped down to almost nothing. But but he sees it's Jesus. He knows it's Jesus. He wraps up some clothes around him to be decent and throws himself into the water to swim toward Jesus. Jesus has been revealed because of his ability. And Peter wants nothing more than to be near him. And you know where this application is going, but I'm going to say it anyway. But when you see and when you hear about and when you experience the work of Jesus in your own life, are you drawn to be near him? When you experience it, when you see it, when you know that it's Jesus who's doing something in your life, are you drawn to be near him? Or, this is what was convicting for me this week, or have you become so accustomed to the work of Jesus that it doesn't really do anything in you at all? You're just like, yeah, I don't know, Jesus provides for me. I've never had to worry about anything. Just, yep, Jesus, whatever. Now, I want us to check our hearts there. Are you living in some sort of entitled mentality such that that you expect these things from Jesus and it doesn't really even wow you anymore? Friends, listen. If you wake up tomorrow morning and your eyes open and there's breath in your lungs, you have experienced the miracle of life that Jesus has given you. Does that not wow us? Maybe you're in a place... Where you would think, well, these things don't really wow me anymore at all. But by golly, if he doesn't keep producing, then I've got some questions I've got to ask him. You just got this entitled mentality where you think, yeah, this is what he does. And if he doesn't, then I've got, I've got some questions to ask Jesus. Are you in awe of the work of Jesus? When he shows up in your life, are you in awe to the extent that you want to be near him all the more, that you're going to throw yourself toward him? It may be. This is kind of a different perspective. I was thinking about this uh, this week. It may be that you have the perspective that if Jesus is doing something in my life that's not painful, because that's all I've experienced is pain from Jesus. If, if, If Jesus is doing something in my life that's not painful, then what does he want from me? Certainly he's doing this because he's about to do something. The other shoe's going to drop at some point. Maybe that's the mentality that you have. Are you holding him then at, at arm's length? Wherever you land on that, here's what we see of Peter. He sees Jesus. He knows it's Jesus because of what has just happened. And he jumps in to be near him. Jesus is revealed in his ability. We're told that the other disciples came in behind Peter in the boat, dragging a net full of fish, dragging it. They they couldn't even pull it up into the boat. They had to drag it. Jesus has shown his ability, not just ability, but his ability in abundance. That's what John is trying to show us, that Jesus is revealing himself in abundance. Are we able to see that in our own lives? Are we looking for Jesus' abundant abilities in our own lives? Or are we expecting little? I don't know. Jesus will probably just carry out some, some normal things. Are we expecting Jesus in his abundance? The resurrected, sin and death defeating Jesus is revealing himself to us in our inabilities and in his abilities. Are we seeing that? Are we seeing it? 
The revelation of Jesus um, continues as we get through the passage. It continues in what many would say is a very unlikely way. I would say that. It's a very unlikely way, an unlikely way that's packed full of symbolic reminders. In fact, I'd encourage you to read through this passage again this week and just look at all of the things that call back to things we've already seen in the gospel account of John. I'll point out a couple. Uh, The disciples get to the shore. They get out of the boat and they see that Jesus has already started what what John calls a charcoal fire. When's the last time we saw a charcoal fire in the book of John? You remember this? John 18, 18. Peter is standing next to a charcoal fire warming himself. Why would John not just say a fire? No, a charcoal fire. Very specific detail. He's standing near a charcoal fire denying that he even knows Jesus. And so when Peter pulls up to the shore and sees Jesus has lit a charcoal fire, did it trigger in his mind, this wet, half-naked Peter, did it trigger in his mind remorse and thankfulness that Jesus has called him in? He's with Jesus now. Jesus has made this charcoal fire. He's got fish on it already. Right? Has Jesus gone fishing already Right through the night? He's, he's caught some. He knows that spot. Right? So he's caught some. Uh, we, we don't know what's going on, but one thing we do know, that when Jesus revealed himself through his ability in great abundance, he did so not because he was in need. Did that make sense? He revealed himself to the disciples in great abundance, but he didn't do that because he was hungry and he needed fish. He already had fish. And so he's showing the disciples, hey, this is for you. He's revealing himself in abundant ability so that the disciples would benefit and know that this is Jesus. Jesus says, hey, bring some of the fish that you just caught and I'll throw it on the fire for you with the, with the bread that I have going already. So Peter goes to the boat and he drags the net to them. We're told 153 large fish in the net. That's a detail, right? But you know fishermen, it's probably 140, right? Um, 153 fish that they've pulled in, so many that the net did not tear. Right, The net didn't tear. So many fish, but the net didn't tear. Is this John's way of saying, in the abundance of Jesus' ability, not one fish of the 153 is lost through a torn net. If I'm going to show you my abilities in abundance, I'm going to show you my abilities in abundance, and none of it's going to be lost. His abundance is sufficient, and Jesus does something that absolutely solidifies in the minds of his disciples. This is Jesus. He shows them, this this is Jesus. And what does he say? He says, have you come and have breakfast? Here's what I think we see. We'll close this up. Jesus is revealed in his humility. Jesus is revealed in his humble service to his disciples. John tells us in verse 13 that Jesus took the bread and he gave it to them. And he took the fish and he gave it to them. What does that remind you of? What does it have to remind the disciples of? Just weeks before, on that night when it wasn't Peter stripped down to his, his, his towel, but it was Jesus stripped down to a towel, washing the disciples' feet. What does he do? He breaks bread shares that with them and he shares wine with them the disciples have to be thinking about that evening that evening just weeks before where jesus has laid out the plan that's going to happen and ways that they can then remember him they had to be remembering the humility of jesus in serving them and that evening a couple weeks before pointed forward to what 
the ultimate humility of the cross. And so Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. And he's revealed his humility to them. John tells us in, in verse 12 that none of the disciples dared to even ask him, who are you? Why? Were they scared? No, they knew it was Jesus. They knew. His humble service revealed that it was Jesus. Friends, this morning, can we just settle in here? We'll be finished. Jesus reveals himself to us in our inabilities. Where we're unable, where we're weak, he reveals himself to us. Are we feeling that? Do you feel that? He he reveals himself to us in his own abilities. In his own abilities. And and as you see that, my question for us all is, do, do we desire to be near him? He's shown us himself. Do we desire to be near him or have we just come to expect it? He's revealed himself to us also in his humility. Ultimately, we've seen that in the giving of his life and being raised from the dead, now being exalted to new life. Jesus has revealed himself to, the, to his disciples in this epilogue, ultimately now showing us, the reader, us, a thousand, a thousand, or 2,000 years later, the, the reader, this is all about Jesus, not about us, not about the disciples. This is all about Jesus, the same Jesus Paul tells us about, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father that's what we're being pointed to this is all about the resurrected jesus and the change that that resurrected jesus brings in the ways that he's still revealing his life to us and our inabilities and his ability and in his humble service can i pray for us and then we'll continue let's pray father we're thankful for your word your word is true And I recognize this morning that some of the things that we see in this text may hit um, different people in different ways. And so my prayer for my friends here this morning who may be facing um, weakness, who are realizing their inabilities, and who have uh, realized those for a number of weeks and months and maybe even years, just ways that they're uh, incapable of stepping forward they're just reminded of them, whether it be through a, a chronic illness or whether it be through a, a, a broken marriage or whether it be through um, just some ongoing tendencies in their life or doubt or fear or anxiety or whatever it is that just grabs on and hangs on and shows us all the more our, our insufficiencies, our weaknesses, our inabilities. For my friends this morning, God, my prayer is that in those moments they would see Jesus. That the weaknesses they're experiencing would actually be moments of praise because, because they get to see the power of Jesus made perfect. God, would you help us too as we see your powerful work in our lives? Would you help us to have a desire to run to you? Would you help us to, to, to desire a, a nearness to you? We need that. Jesus, we need that. And we are so grateful for your humble sacrifice, the humility you displayed on the cross where you became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we could have life with you. Would that overflow into praise, my prayer.
All these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Take some time where you are this morning. Consider some of these things and then come and celebrate as we sing.